This is episode number 29 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore. I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder. Each fortnight, there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast, a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. But today we are sharing something different. We're introducing survivor stories, those who have lived it, experienced it and are willing to share. In this episode, I speak to September Burton. She's a fertility expert and abuse survivor. She says there is a magic that happens when women heal together. For every woman who speaks, she empowers thousands of other women. Stand with me, speak with me, heal with me. First, I want to say a big thank you to our main sponsor, Rockpool. They deliver trauma-informed training across the UK. And of course, with COVID um, taking a toll and not the lockdown ease not going as planned, they are now adapting their programmes to be accessible online. So keep up to date. Check their website, rockpool.life. I also need to say a big thank you to my Patreons, Katrina here and Susan Rahima, who support me on the hashtag Abuse Talk Tia. You can find my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jen L Gilmore. If you join the hashtag Abuse Talk Tia, you'll have the themes before everybody else for the Twitter chat. You'll have news and updates behind the scenes of the app development that's happening right now and more. So do check it out at Patreon dot com forward slash Jen L Gilmore. Well joining me today is a lady called September Burton and she says she's a champion for women survivors of domestic violence. She's also a fertility expert and um, I really wanted to talk to September as part of our survivor stories and really just discover the journey that um, she has been on. So welcome September it's nice to have you here. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me on. Now, as we could probably tell from your accent, you're not in the UK, so whereabouts are you? So I I still live in hiding, so I don't actually disclose where I am at this point right now. No, that's great. Um, so would you like to talk to us just a bit about your journey? Um, and I really particularly would like to sort of follow you from that um, experience that you've been through and right to maybe where you are now so you know let, let's um, you know tell us about what's happened in in your story. Sure so my story began um, about six years ago I met a man and he seemed like the greatest man I had ever met and um, we started out as friends and spent a lot of time together just sort of being drinking buddies and just, just hanging out, just developing a friendship. And uh, so over time, eventually things, you know, transformed and the romantic, the relationship became romantic. And we ended up, we had, uh, we have three children together. 
um, the first pregnancy, you know, he asked me to have a child with him. I already had children from a previous marriage. And so he, he said, you know, you're an amazing mother and I want you to be the mother of my children. So will you have a child with me? And so we did. Um, and then as soon as I got pregnant, he sort of switched. He, there was like a, a moment where it was like a, there was a switch in his eyes and I even saw it happen. And it creeps me out. Like looking back and it's like a haunting memory that's like, you know, burned into my brain basically when I saw the switch in his eyes. Um, and what that was, I think looking back is really the moment where I went from being an autonomous, independent human being to being his property. As soon as I got pregnant, he owned me um, in his mind. And so, um, so he became increasingly abusive psychologically and emotionally. Um, not, there was no physical right away. There was physical later, but it, it took a little while for, that, for it to escalate to that point. Um, so he, you know, he, on, on the surface, I mean, he really truly is like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Like if you were to meet him today, right now, you'd be like, oh, he's such a nice guy. He's really great. You know? Um, and he, he's an attorney. And so at the end of the relationship, he decided that he needed to set everything up and basically, um, he set me up. He, um, entrapped me essentially, um, and basically set up circumstances to make me look like a terrible person and a terrible mother to the courts. And, but he spent seven months building, like setting it all up and building this case against me before he left. Um, and so it was, it was pretty intense and I did snap at the end, but you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because at first I was like, Oh no, I snapped. And I was like screaming at him and I, you know, and so in the recordings, like you hear me like screaming and just not okay. Um, and so I sound horrible. I really do. Uh, and I slapped him across the face. And now it's like, wait a second. This man recorded me all day, every day for seven months, manipulated me like crazy. Completely. I told him that I was struggling with postpartum depression because we had, we had our daughter and then almost immediately I unintentionally got pregnant with twins. So I had three babies in less than two years and so I went to him and I was like I think I'm struggling with postpartum depression after the twins were born and instead of like offering any encouragement and saying let's get you some help let's you know do something what can we do for you um he started recording me and manipulating me so um so but looking at that now from the perspective that I have now the different level of understanding about the abuse and all of mm -hmm. that because um, I've been in therapy this whole time. I still see a therapist to this day. Um, so, but looking at it from a different perspective, it's like when I snapped, I screamed and I slapped him across the face. I didn't pull a knife on him. I didn't pull a gun on him. I didn't, you know, do any of, do anything. I slapped him across the face. Like, it's, you know, if you really look at what happened, like, that's kind of not that bad <laughs> for what he had just done to me you know so yeah I mean like um somebody once said to me um you can have like a dog in a cage keeping it there and every day somebody go up and poke that dog every day tantalizing it um and maybe you know 30 days maybe longer that dog is finally let out what what's going to happen to that dog 
they're going to attack aren't they in in that terms and that made me feel a lot better because um there was a moment in my relationship i can relate to what you said you you've said where i just snapped you know it got to the point where i couldn't deal with it you know for so long and it'd been years that i'd held it together and i'd finally you know snapped i think i kicked him in the shin and that basically was used against me profusely like over and over again um it hadn't been a consideration as to actually what led to that point in his mind um you know and i think sometimes accepting that for me that wasn't probably the right move but knowing what i had endured took so long you know it it took so long to get to that point. So yeah. I think quite a lot of people will be able to relate to what, to what you're saying. Um, because I'm sure there is that point of, if it's not understanding, then it's a point of breaking down in, in a certain area. And um, one thing that I thought was quite interesting that you said was that you knew, um, you know, by the way he gave you this look or um, he, he kind of changed. So, and obviously it's still, you know, sort of, you mentioned it haunts you today. So what, what, how do you think that came about for him? Do you think he is aware of it or? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Because when you're talking about, you know, narcissistic personality disorder or sociopathic personality disorder, I think the seven months of recording all day, everything is kind of on the sociopathic side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not a mental health professional, so I don't. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I don't know if he's aware. So I want to say yes. I mm. want to say yes. He's very aware. He knows exactly what he did. And he knows exactly that he saw me differently pre-pregnancy, you know, but I don't know. We're also talking about mental illness. So I don't know. Mm. So do you think um, he was, it was like, a, I don't want to say trigger, um, but there was something that changed in him because of a situation. So was it a situational change, do you think? Um, you mentioned obviously was, the pregnancy. I think it was the pregnancy. I think it was me getting pregnant and him feeling like, like knowing that I was trapped in the relationship by the pregnancy because, you know, I, and I held on part of why I stayed for as long as I did was because I really believed that it was better for the kids if we stayed together. And especially since I had brought my older kids into this, there was so much guilt and shame about, you know, admitting to myself that, I had brought a man into my older children's lives that was mm -hmm. only ever going to hurt them like that. That was hard. That was something that I had to deal with after the end of the relationship. That was really incredibly difficult for me to come to terms with. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's not your fault, is it? So, um, but I can understand why you would feel like that as a, as a mom. Um, I'm a mom myself. So I feel like I can relate um, to you quite a bit. Um, I mean, I know you've you've mentioned that you went through years of emotional, verbal, physical abuse and the abuse of power. Um, you've mentioned it's a common thread between um, women um, with abuse stories. Um, and I guess you're probably right because I found common ground with you there. So I'm guessing that you've spoken to many people that have gone through um, similar to what you've been through then. Yeah, well, it's amazing. Um, when I started, I, I had to heal first before I started opening up and really sharing my story. 
Um, and so when I was done with the healing process, or well, I don't know that you're ever done with the healing process, but when I got to a point where I felt, okay, I can, I can do this now, um, I, I found a tribe. I found this whole, like there's this whole subculture and it's not just in the US. I mean, you're in the UK and we're having this conversation right now. Like it's everywhere. I've had conversations with people in Australia. Um, it's, it's just worldwide and um, it's an epidemic and it's amazing because we all have such similar stories. Like you're talking about how you snapped and kicked him in the shin. Mm. And they use that against you. That's the abuse of power that I'm talking about because they're not taking into consideration the fact that as a human being, you can only take so much. And so um, if you're being coercively controlled and you're in that type of abusive relationship where, like you said, they're just poking every single day, they're just poking, poking, eventually you're going to snap. Mm. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be human. And, but, um, but I think the abuse of power comes in in the family court system where they they just look at that and they say, oh, you're you must be crazy. You kicked him in the shin or, you know, in my case, you slapped him across the face and screamed at him. And it's like, but look at what he did to me. I told him I had postpartum depression and he hit record rather than giving me any sort of support. Like you can only take so much. And so it it's really yeah, it's. And every woman's story that I found is basically, there's so many commonalities, it's scary. It's really I know. Scary. Like, I was thinking um, the best way I could describe it to, to people in, in, in a way is that it's the same, it's the same behavior. It's like a painting. It's just got this different deal t- detail to it. So everybody could pin a similar picture, but the, the, it determines on what kind of pin is used, what kind of brush. It's just masked in a different way. But generally, um, just like you know what you were saying about meeting other people and having that common you know knowledge it, um, and understanding and like-minded and and things that we've gone through, actually, your ex could be mine. And you find that actually, hang on, what you've just said reminds me of mine. And it's a, it's like a behavioral issue, isn't it? Um, now you mentioned, which I thought was really, um, you know, brave of you to say, because I don't think it's recognized very much, but you said, you know, about recovering, you know, healing, you know, or until you get to a point that you're able to talk about it, but you may not ever finish that healing journey, which um i'm right with you on that one because um there's a lot of people that could sell a a program saying it's a quick fix you know um you know i know there's hypnotherapy out there i haven't really explored that but i think i will always live with what happened i just i've just got to learn to live with it so what helped you to sort of get to that point of being able to open up about it um i surrounded myself with loving nurturing women and that was that was the biggest healing piece for me was I went I went somewhere and I just I got myself a tribe of women who understood women who were older and wiser than I was women who had been through it overcome were on the other side and were sort of like helping me piece my soul back together because I don't know if you felt this way but at the end of the relationship I and I remember telling him one day I said I feel like my soul has been sucked out of me and um and so really, you know, when I was going through that intense healing journey, it was really about reclaiming my soul. That was what I was doing. 
So, um, so yeah, it was, it was the women. And so that's a big part of why now I'm so into, you know, women have to band together. Like if we want to stop this and we can, we do have the power, but we can only do it together. We can, we have to work together. We have to be there supporting, building, encouraging, nurturing, loving each other. And when we really give each other that energy, that's when the whole game changes. It's going to change so fast. It's going to be like a single generation. <laughs> and how, like, if we all just came together and did it, how can you, how do you envision that we could put a stop to this type of behavior? I don't think that it needs, I don't think that it's anything where we would need to do anything as far as stopping anything. Um, I don't think that it's like take on the family court system. I don't think that it's like marching or parades or, you know, protests or any of those kinds of things. I honestly think that if women come together, we have this magical, powerful energy about us that when we're supporting each other and we've got each other's backs, they just simply won't get away with it. None of them will be able to be in a relationship because we'll all be talking and be like, no, 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 he does that. No, 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 get out of that relationship, you know? And we'll help each other see those early red flags and just get out of the relationship. And so they're all going to be single and they're going to be like, wait, <laughs> we want to be in relationships. We kind of like women. And, you know, we're going to be watching out for each other. And, you know, because if I, for myself, if I had listened to my intuition and if I had paid attention to those early red flags, I actually say they weren't red flags. They were flashing neon signs and they really were. And so if I had had like that loving, nurturing support from somebody else who said, you know, are you sure you want to be in this relationship because he's doing this and this and this, um, you might want to rethink this one. Mm. If I had had that, I would have gotten out of the relationship. But there's, I think there's a lot of financial abuse going on. And so we need to, as women, we've got to get a hold of our finances. We've got to be um, empowered financially. Mm, definitely. Of like Susie Orman is, she's huge in getting women financially independent, things like that. So, you know, reading her books and, and just learning what does it really mean to be financially independent? Because if for me, if I hadn't been financially dependent on him, I would have left long, long before I did. Um, but that's a that's a huge piece, and they know that. Mm. So yeah, I think that was a big one. Yeah, that I like. I agree with you on the on the financial aspect of it because I think by the end of it, you're if you haven't got that financial. Um, burden as well then you've still got all of the other stuff to overcome to be able to get out of the relationship the finance side then adds on this layer of where am I actually going to go where am, who am I going to be how am I going to survive and yeah. then your reaction to survive is to stay isn't it um so you mentioned you know obviously these signs that were you know, actually probably right there flashing right at you. <laughs> yeah. Could you give us a few examples then? So it might help somebody out there. You know, I think it's really important to share um, signs from other people because they could be different between many of us. Well, that, that switch in his eyes that I saw, and I even knew in the moment, I knew something was wrong. And if I had like noticed that and said something's wrong and really like listened to myself in that, I probably would have, even though I was pregnant, I probably would have gotten out of that relationship right then. Um, another one that happened, probably the first one that I can really recall is I remember one night 
we we were still fairly early in dating. We'd been together probably two or three months, somewhere around there. And um, we were at his house, and he invited some friends over, and we were playing a game. And um, I didn't care. I was there. I didn't care about the game. You know, I was playing the game, but I just was putting no real effort into it, and it was a strategy game. Um, but, you know, I was just there to drink and have a good time. That was what I cared about. So I was just goofing off. And then, so, and then I made a move in the game that I guess was, he found impressive or, you know, he, whatever. Um, and he said in front of everybody, oh, I'm so glad she's learning. And I was like, humiliated in that moment. Like, and then what I, what I realize now is like, he humiliated me in front of his friends. That wasn't the only time that he did it, but he humiliated me in front of his friends. And so even though that's kind of on a small scale, when you think about it, if he's willing to do it on a small scale, he's willing to do it on a big scale. And so in the family court hearing, I mean, he made up the most horrific lies. He threw out child abuse allegations. I mean, he said the worst possible things about me that you can imagine. And so it's like, if he was willing to do it on that small scale, of course he's willing to do it on that bigger scale. Like, of course. Um, so little things like that are, are huge red flags. Um, and then he, one of the things about him was that he, he plays a sport um, and there's, and he coaches, he coaches it as well. So like half the year he's coaching. And so there's like this, side of him and then the other half of the year he's not coaching and he is a completely different person it's almost to be multiple personality side of things like it's almost that extreme um that he's just a completely different human being so it's it's not good it's not healthy and i saw that right away i saw that the first year that we were together yeah so um, um why um obviously you've mentioned a couple of reasons but why do you think you stayed there even though you you knew from the signs you had this gut feeling. Um, what was the reason you stayed? Um, he was good. <laughs> he was really good at the coercive control. And so what I would do is I would approach him and confront him on things that he did. Like that night that he humiliated me, I confronted him about that, and, you know, let him know that I was not okay with that. And he always had the perfect answer. Always. Um, what I've learned now though, is that if something, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of these types of abusers, um, but if something, if I would confront him on something and a response would just like instantaneously roll off of his tongue, it was a lie. If he stopped and paused and actually thought for a second, then he was much more likely to actually be telling the truth. Now for him to stop and pause for a second was probably happened five times in five years because <laughs> most of what he said was lies. But, um, but I did learn that there was, there was a difference between when he was lying and when he's actually telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's easy to look back, isn't it? Like you say, looking back on everything on hindsight and going, do you know what? It was there screaming, you know, in my face. And, you know, how did I not action it or action it a different way? And sort of sometimes we can kick ourselves about it. I know I do. Um, so what could, what can we do then if we recognize these signs? How can we spread the word and let younger generations know what to look out for well going back for just a moment um yeah 
I think one another reason to stay is because I think that as women we're conditioned to justify their behavior, mm. and so I think in our minds, like somehow we justify, like okay, well he was just drunk that night, you know it's okay because he was upset because he lost a game, or you know he you know, my ex was an attorney, so you know oh he lost a trial, so he was just upset, and it's we're taught to justify these behaviors and I think that's what I I do a lot um, and I'm sure a lot of other women do it as well so um, what but to answer this question that you just asked I really feel like the, one of the messages that I want to push out there is we're taught that if he ever lays a hand on you like you you get out of the relationship immediately like no questions asked if he does it once he's gonna do it again kind of a thing right yeah um, but we're not taught that about like emotional and psychological abuse and financial abuse and sexual abuse even because unless it's like straight up rape, like tying you down and raping you, then even sexual abuse is kind of, you know, a gray area and we kind of sweep it under the rug. Oh, he asked me to do this. I wasn't comfortable with it, but I did it anyway just to please him, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. That's sexual abuse right there. So I really feel like if there's, emotional abuse, if there's psychological abuse, financial, sexual, any of it, spiritual, any type of abuse whatsoever, abuse is abuse and you get out. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you, you now um, talk about nutrition and, you know, how that helps. So let's talk about, you know, what you do now in, in your work and, you know, um, because obviously we've, um, you've gone through this experience, but you've had that time to practice healing, you know, taking it forward. Um, you've got almost not a new life, but a different way of living. So tell us about what you do now. So with the nutrition, I really feel like we have this message that's really, really being pushed out nowadays, which is the self-love message, self-care, self-love. Um, but I, I feel like the, the foundation of that isn't what you're eating. Um, and when you're eating, you know, clean foods, a lot of leafy greens, a lot of vegetables, a lot of things like that, it actually helps your body process those emotions that you've experienced in your abuse, because inside of your body, emotions are very real. They're very, they're molecules, they're tangible, you know, they're, they're actual, they have substance. Um, I think outside we kind of think of emotions as like these fleeting things and there's nothing, you know, real to them, but inside your body they are molecules and so they need to be processed your liver's got to process them your kidneys have to process them and then excrete them and get them out of your body and i think um, a big part of my position is that if you're taking care of yourself and if you're eating healthy foods then you're actually helping your body process those emotions get them out of you and that's a huge piece of healing is you've got to get those emotions out of your body yeah, no, I agree. And um, actually, I was just thinking that the most obvious really for that is stress, isn't it? Because stress um, has an impact on our body. And, you know, that's been told to us, um, you know, about how it can affect, you know, our gut, everything really, um, you know, eczema, different kinds of other problems. So perhaps, you know, what we eat will obviously add to that. I know for me, I'm on a bit of a journey at the moment. Um, eating for me is really difficult um, because I had comments about me that was, you know, said in that relationship. So mine isn't just a, 
a case of you know getting healthy in terms of what I eat it's also about my mindset over it and trying to overcome um, the amount of barriers that have been put in place over those years so um, if there's anybody feeling like that about their you know body image you know what would you say could help that you know that side of things well, I think to speak to the stress that you were just talking about, a lot of us who have been in these types of relationships actually develop uh, complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have a diagnosis of complex PTSD. And one of the things about PTSD is you actually, you stop breathing, you, you hold your breath, or you breathe very, very shallow breaths, right? Um, because you're always on alert, you're always like waiting for where's the next attack going to come from kind of a thing. Um, and so breathing exercises is huge. I'm, I have breathing apps on my phone that, you know, tell you breathe in, breathe out. Um, and those are really, really helpful. I try to do those several times every day just to make sure that I remember to breathe. Cause I, I still, I mean, I've been out of this relationship for a year and a half now and I still catch myself holding my breath every single day. Um, so I think that's a huge piece for stress. And then, you know, personally, I do an active meditation every day, like a centering exercise. Um, and so I take 20 minutes and do that, make sure that I do that every single day, um, just to bring the relaxed, calm sensations into my body. And then, you know, then when you get stressed out, then you can remember, oh, yeah, that's, I know what it feels like to relax. And so you can kind of draw on that. And even if you're in a stressful moment, you can kind of draw on that. Hmm. Um Another thing for speaking directly to what you were talking about with like body image issues and things because you've been shamed, um, there's something called amino acid therapy. And that might be something that you want to research a little bit. Um, But the the basics of amino acid therapy are that there are specific amino acids like tryptophan and GABA and um, phenylalanine and things like that that are precursors to like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin and all of those neurochemicals that are your happy feel good neurochemicals you know that make you feel good about yourself and about your life and about your kids and all of that kind of stuff if you don't have enough of those amino acids then your body isn't able to make the serotonin the dopamine things like that so amino acid therapy is really just about using supplements um, and boosting your levels so that you can kind of take charge of how you feel. So, no, that's really interesting. That's um, certainly something that I've learned today. I've not heard of that kind of therapy. So, yeah, I'll have a look into that. Thank you. Um, obviously, I've had a look at um, some of the things that you're doing. You've got um, a couple of like workbooks and things to do with nutrition and fertility. Do you want to talk to us a bit about that? I know you call it four months to fertile. <laughs> Yeah, so I've got this self-love diet on my blog, septemberburton.com, which is where I share my whole story. Um, You can find like the self-love diet, and that's a six-week eating plan that's basically is completely laid out for you so that you don't have to put any thought process into it. All the shopping lists are laid out, the meal plans, it's all there for you. Um, And that's really just to take stress off of you. Um, So there's, there's that option. I think it's only like $37. It's really, really inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I do nutrition for surrogates. So if being a surrogate mom is something that anybody has ever considered, um, as you're healing from abuse, it's not the time to be a surrogate mom. (laughs) But um, 
but I do have on Hawaii surrogacy, I do have a nutrition plan on there as well for surrogates. And then uh, the four months to fertile is a little bit more intensive. I don't really do that one so much anymore. Um, that was something that I was doing before I got into this abusive relationship. Now, but I do still run the Colorado Fertility Conference, and so I've got a fertility podcast and things like that. So, no, it sounds like um, really interesting, and certainly going to have a look at that um, self love, um, you know, plan. That sounds really interesting. Well, what I'll do is I'll um, pop the information so anybody that's listening can, you know, click right through to anything that September has mentioned today. I want to say a personal thank you um, for sharing, you know, parts of, you know, your experiences. It's not always easy to share that part of our lives. Um, So thank you for taking your time to, you know, talk about the signs and what you've gone through and also the other side of it, the good side of it, you know, the, the taking those first steps, you know, into our new normal or reclaiming your soul, as you said. So thank you so much for spending the time with us and I guess what what I always say is that um, you know together we're louder really you know doing this and you know speaking with one another and discovering and sharing um, really helps um, other people so thank you so much for joining us. Um, Did you have anything else you wanted to say um, before we close? Um, Just some words of encouragement for anybody who's listening to this podcast you know if if you're in an abusive relationship just surround yourself with loving people and if you need to reach out to me, um, what I tell everybody is I believe you. Because that was one of the biggest things for me was that people didn't believe me. And I was like, no, no, I know he looks like a nice guy, but he really is not. <laughs> um, and so if you just need somebody to believe you, just you know, reach out to me, social media, email, whatever. Um, I believe you. I believe you. I see you. I know that I know that it hurts. And so if you need some support, you can reach out to me. Oh, well, thank you. A powerful message there to to close it. Thank you so much, September. Thank you. A big thank you to September who shared her experiences and her story there. It's definitely has given me food for thought and some things to have a little research on myself personally. It's always interesting to, you know, hear from others and, you know, hear how familiar um, the behaviour is and the similarities between ex-partners and that form of abuse. So thank you again, September. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast from wherever you're listening. If you have time, do leave us a review. It'd be great to hear your feedback. And if you're listening on Access Northwest Radio Station, we go on air on Wednesdays, 8pm, Saturdays at 2pm and Monday mornings for those early risers at 5am. You have been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both can be found on Amazon or my website, jennifergilmore.com. Music